HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com, bringing you the freshest radio in Brooklyn since 2009. Hear directly from chefs to farmers, artists to architects, authors to brewers, and everyone in between. Check out all of our shows on our website or by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store. The following is a message from Zingerman's. From June 30th to July 3rd, 2011, come hang out at Camp Bacon, a four-day festival hosted by Zingerman's. The main event is an all-day affair at Zingerman's Roadhouse, featuring plenty of bacon, bacon learning, and such luminaries as Alan Benton, John T. Edge, Molly Stevens, and more. The event will be taking place in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Proceeds from this event benefit Southern Foodways Alliance. Also, on Friday, July 1st, there'll be a special benefit performance featuring Andre Williams and the Gold Stars and special guests John Langford and Skull Orchard. Visit www.zingermanscampbacon.com for more information and for tickets. Once again, that's www.zingermanscampbacon.com. Welcome. You are tuned into the Heritage Radio Network and you're listening to the Farm Report. We're coming to you live from the back of Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Before we start the show, I want to give a little shout out to all my old peeps at Zingerman's. Spent five great years there in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And if you're anywhere within five hours of the place, you've got to drive up for Camp Bacon. It's crazy. You've never seen bacon like this. Just do it. Um, but today, I'm also excited to introduce my guest, Debbie Ball of Eagle Bridge Custom Meats. Debbie, how are you? I'm fine, Aaron. How are you this afternoon? Good, good. How about you? Are you a bacon fan? <laughs> Is there anything better? <laughs> I don't. I, I really don't know. I mean, I feel like I have so many vegetarian friends who have been like brought over to the correct side by bacon. <laughs> it's such a seductive meat, right? Yes, it is. It's awesome. <laughs> and you guys do a lot of smoking up there at Eagle Bridge, right? We do. We do over a whole variety of different smoke products. Everything from, as you just mentioned, uh, delicious smoked bacon um, for a lot of our friends, uh, and also we do a variety of smoked sausages as well. 
Yeah, that is good stuff. And I know, um, you know, you are the the processor of choice for my friends at Flying Pigs Farm, and you can definitely get a taste of uh, some of Eagle Bridge's work at the Farmer's Market this weekend, Friday and Saturday. Um, Flying Pigs will be at Union Square on Friday and then at Grand Army Plaza Friday and Saturday if you want to stock up for the 4th of July holiday. But today we want to kind of continue a little bit where we left off last week. We had Nick... um, Phantasma of Paradise Lockers and um, talking about slaughterhouses in the Midwest. And Debbie, you and your brother run a slaughterhouse here in the Northeast up in Eagle Bridge, New York. That's about, I thought, three and a half hours north of the station? That's correct. We're about three hours north of the city. That's right. Awesome. And so I'd like to start out with a little bit of, of history of like how you guys got going with with the shop and, and just what, what's what been happening there over the last couple of years and, and kind of getting the lay of the land for our guests. Sure, sure. We're in our seventh year of operation. Uh, we started our operation uh, as a processor, um, working with farmers, local farmers, who were raising, um, raising their animals uh, for sale primarily as freezer meat, and we were operating under New York State Inspection. So the animals were, were farm-dressed, farm uh, so killed on the farm, and then they were brought to us for packaging and processing. Um, and as time went on, the demand and the request for product that was processed under USDA inspection continued to grow, um, and a lot of our farmers were branching out looking for ways to help help sustain their business and grow their business. Um, and for that, they needed to be able to have their animals uh, slaughtered under inspection and then processed under federal inspection so that they could market their products anywhere um, throughout, through anywhere, any channel throughout the country. So, so without that kind of USDA seal of approval, how can farmers sell their meat? They're very limited in terms of what they can do. Generally, in New York State, it means that, they're, that they are marketing their product exclusively within New York um, and that they are selling, uh, they're selling basically as freezer trade. Um, so it's a product that's not for resale at that point unless they are, again, unless, they are, um, they are, unless it's processed under inspection. Okay. Okay. So, so you guys made made the transition, and you added on to the processing facility. You added the slaughtering facility, and that was what two. October will be your second year anniversary, that's, right? That's correct. Right at the end, October we're coming up on our second year um, that we've been operating the uh, the slaughterhouse, which we added, um, so that then uh, farmers had the option to be able to bring us the animals. Well, they their their choice at that point was to bring us the animals, um, and we handle the processing from start to finish. So we do slaughter under federal inspection. We are then um, and then we do all of the processing, uh, including all of the smoked and specialty products that we make as well under inspection at our facility. Okay. And so, you know, we talked with Nick a little bit last week about kind of the size of their operation. What What is the size of the operation up at Eagle Bridge? I mean, are you guys are doing what animals and kind of what's a general week look like as far as volume for, well, for the slaughtering side? Right. We're, sl- we're small in the scope of things, um, I, I guess. But um, what we do is we have uh, we do all species, so we're doing um, goats, we're doing lambs, we're doing um, I, I shouldn't say all species. We're doing goats, we're doing lambs, we're doing uh, beef, and we're doing uh, pigs. Um, typically, we do beef a couple of days a week. Um, it's around usually a total of about twenty head that we process in a week. Okay. Um, 
pigs we do one day a week, and we do about 30 to 35 uh, pigs in a day. Um, and then uh, one day a week we do smaller animals, and that, again, the goats and the lambs, and that usually is about 50 um, that we handle <clears throat> on that particular day. Yeah, we were just chatting earlier this week about uh, the No Goat Left Behind project that we're working on for the fall, kind of taking a look right. at, at dairy goats in the Northeast. and. Thinking about kind of issues that are specific to the Northeast, you know, um, one of one of the things that you hear a lot about is farmers having access to slaughtering facilities, um, and you know that's a lot different. There, there's a much seems like in in the Midwest there's a, a bigger concentration where that's not so much of an issue now. As far as as far as demand, I mean, how far are your farmers traveling to to get to you to use to use your facilities? We have farmers that are coming from um, oh, up, to, up to like 100 or 150 miles away. Um, a, a, a large portion of the farmers that we support are in Columbia County, um, and also we reach out as far as far west as out to the Utica area, actually. Um, because of where we're located, we also reach over into um, southern Vermont um, and into western Massachusetts as well. Um, and then, of course, sitting in southern Washington County, there's a whole variety variety of farmers that are here that we also work with as well. What would you say, I mean, since the, the build-out of the slaughtering facility is still pretty fresh in your mind, I mean, would you say that the East Coast has any particular um, challenges or hurdles that might set it apart from what's happening in the Midwest or the West Coast? Well, I think there's a there. One of the reasons that we initially decided to even enter the business, even on um, before we decided to go under inspection, was there is such a huge demand um, for the service, and the waits, um, the waiting times are are very long, and it makes it difficult again for the farmer to expand their business. I think some things that also happened in the Northeast um, over the past, I'm going to say the past nah, 10, 12 years, is that you saw many of the slaughterhouses decide that it was not profitable or practical for them to stay in business. Um, and then there were also, within our specific region, there were several that, uh, that unfortunately um, went through uh, fires or damage that were actually, then were sh- they were closed and never reopened. So there was a huge bottleneck um, of work that needed to happen and animals that needed to be processed without much room for any for any place for people to go, um, and so it, that's probably the biggest the biggest challenge that we see. Okay, and just just to get a sense of of what the finances look like on the slaughtering end, I mean, what is some what does it cost someone if I want to bring my goat or my cow or my pig in? Like, what's what's the going rate for a slaughter fee? Okay. Um, if we're doing a smaller animal, like a goat or a lamb, at that point, it's, it's $35 for the slaughter. Um, and then uh, if we're doing a larger, uh, a pig is $45. Um, and to do a beef, we, we charge $90 for the slaughter. Um, processing, um, it depends. On the pigs and on the beef, um, right now our rates are $0.80 cents a pound on the hanging weight. Um, and then uh, depending if they're getting other specialty products and smoke products done, then obviously there are upcharges associated with that as well. Um, but it's, you know, it's, I would say the demand for local products, for, for quality product, is certainly out there. Um, and so our farmers are anxious to grow their business and have grown their business over the last couple of years and expanded with us. Um, and, you know, we, we do the best we can. To, it's, it's a pricey business because of the, a lot of the infrastructure and the costs associated with the insurances and things that are um, for liability and workers' comp. 
but we do our best to to uh, to to keep the prices reasonable so that we can all make a living. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, and and I mean that's the thing. It's like if your prices aren't set correctly, the busier you are, the faster you're losing money. Yes, correct. That's um, correct. So that's something you know. We talked um, with Nick last week a little bit about about you know you, we you hear a lot when you're talking about slaughterhouses as far as you know. Um, how the how the animals are treated and and mm-hmm. how like when you're looking at design you know what what are the factors that make it less stressful for animals so i'd like to talk a little bit about that and then i'd also like to to touch again on that insurance question and and worker safety so when you guys you know you had kind of the benefit of of working fresh you know you built uh, built out your a new facility so you got to go ahead and really choose the design layout i mean how did you guys go about that and and how did kind of animal and worker worker safety you know factor into those construction decisions Sure. A couple of things. We, um, the, as you're right, the slaughterhouse was uh, brand new um, for us, and we we revamped some of the space that we had for holding pens and things at that time. Um, we spent the better part of probably two, almost two years really researching and making um, some ideas, uh, getting some ideas together about, first of all, were we going to make that leap into U.S. Under, go under USDA inspection? And if we did, um, what did we what did we want to accomplish, and how did we how did we want to make sure that we had the most efficient operation and safe operation that we could? Um, so we traveled, we did a lot of things. We talked to people through all over the country, everything from looking at mobile processing units to traditional um, brick and mortar operations. Um, we we traveled throughout the Northeast um, to talk to and um, talk to and pick the brains of anybody that would anybody that would let us in. Um, and because there's such a demand um, for the service, I think we find that a lot of times the, the um, as processors we we tend to be fairly collaborative in our efforts. Um, so we spent a lot of time researching. We also did a lot of reading. We did a lot of work online, um, looking at the work that Temple Grandin had done, as well as others, and thinking about how we were going to how we were going to set up the operation. Um, we also had uh, potential customers and current customers who were animal who had been certified by Animal Welfare Approved, and so it was important for them, as it was important for us, to make sure that we were. Meeting not only meeting the standards set out by USDA, but exceeding that in terms of humane handling. Um, and so we worked together with the folks at Animal Welfare Approved and with our farmers to, on, on the design of our of our slaughter floor, um, of our holding pens. Um, again, to ensure that we were going to produce a, a high quality product, and we were going to we were going to handle the animals in the most respectful way possible. That's awesome. That's great. And then what, so what about um, on the other end with, with workers? I mean, you had mentioned uh, insurance and, and mm-hmm. you know, is that, that's, a, that's a big cost for you guys, insuring the workers. Does it vary between the processing side and the slaughter side? And, you know, what are some of the kind of the, the concerns as far as worker safety or, 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 you know, protocols that you guys have been, have put into place to kind of protect people working for you? Yeah, that's huge. Uh, um, we we do a lot. Uh, most everybody that comes through, we do some very um, very detailed training, and ha- we're fortunate to have some folks that are very experienced in the business who are working with the newer people that come on. So we we've made sure that we're doing first of all that the equipment that we have is is in good operating condition and is thoroughly maintained. 
secondly, we put a lot of thought into um, our flooring, our operations, how we handle not only on the not only on the slaughter side but also on the processing side from a safety standpoint, and then especially back over in terms of animal handling, making sure that things like so that our uh, the guys that work for us on that end are not having to, for example, get into the pens with the animals. So we've built in some safety features there with catwalks and heavy-duty um, steel gates and things to protect them. And that way we know that, one, the animals are, are, are going to be safe and aren't going anywhere, uh, and the guys are safe as they're working with them and also working out on the floor. And just, um, just to jump in for a second, that's a real sure. issue. I mean, I've definitely heard stories about you know farmers <laughs> dropping their animals off uh-huh. in slaughterhouses and getting a call from the slaughterhouse a few hours later, like, you know, your pigs just ran away or, or your, your goats right. are down the street. Right. And <laughs> Fortunately, we've not had that happen, but I think that was a lot of forethought that we put into it in terms of how we were going to um, set up our unloading areas, um, how we were going to make sure that, you know, that we were handling it from a humane standpoint, humanely, and also from a safety standpoint. So nobody, for example, no one, when the farmers come, nobody unloads an animal unless someone, some one of us um, who is trained to to make sure that they're doing that for, in a safe manner um, is out there with them and unloading. So fortunately, um, we've not had anybody, um, we've not had any animals escape. Um, but in in all seriousness, it's a huge it's a huge concern. The workers our comp for workers comp uh, costs for workers comp are huge, and unfortunately, the carriers that we have been working with. The insurance carriers, they don't delineate between somebody who's working on the slaughter floor versus somebody who's working over on the processing side of it. And there are very few insurance carriers that are willing to take that kind of risk. So it's imperative that, you know, that from a cost standpoint, but even but bigger from a safety standpoint, that we're doing everything um, to make sure that, that our, our crew is safe and that we, and that allows us to minimize the risk um, from a, from a, safety standpoint and from a financial standpoint. Well, that's awesome. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. um, And when we come back, I want to pick up where we left off with, with Nick last week and talk about the processing end. Okay. Sounds great. service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Every Tuesday at noon, Dave Arnold, the author of CookingIssues.com, will discuss new and innovative techniques, equipment, and ingredients. Call in with your own questions to see if Dave and the crew can solve your cooking issues. Again, that's Tuesdays at noon on the Heritage Radio Network. 
Okay, we are back, uh, and you're tuned into the Farm Report. We are on the line with Debbie Ball of Eagle Bridge Custom Meats. Debbie, before the break, we were talking about uh, you know staff safety issues, and I wanted to ask you. You know, when we were talking with Nick last week, he had mentioned that most of the people they bring on have absolutely no experience in the slaughter or the the, the processing end of the business, and that they are you know training people from scratch more or less. Is that the case for you guys too? Or are you able to kind of tap into uh, you know an, a worker pool with with some some skill set that is no. in line? Yeah, that's very true for our operation as well. We're fortunate that we have two or three, um, two or three uh, guys that work for us that are very are experienced meat cutters um, and, uh, and an experienced butcher. However, um, almost everyone else, and there are uh, a total of fourteen of us that are working there now, um, had little to no experience at all um, in that field. Um, so training and really making sure that you have people that are um, that care about what they're doing um, and are cognizant of how to keep themselves and the product safe is, is huge. And it's, and it's a huge undertaking every day. Wow. Okay. So we hopefully, you know, that'll change as things move forward. I mean, we were talking with, uh, with Nick about kind of this rise of, you know, in this, in New York, you're seeing it a lot, this rise of, you know, butchers and meat cutters as kind of the rock stars of the food world and sex symbols. And you're seeing them on top, you know, on the front of magazines and in spreads of the New York Times. So hopefully some of that, uh, you know, up, updated profiling will, will drive more people into that business. Although, yeah. I have to say, it might not drive them up to, to Eagle Bridge, <laughs> New York. We'll, we'll, well see. Well, it's certainly we'll getting see. a lot of attention. Yeah. And I, I, that's a topic that comes up all the time when, when I'm talking to people within the industry, is that it's, a, that's an, it's an aging industry and that there, there is a definite need for programs similar to the program. There's a program through SUNY Cobleskill, but there are those kinds of needs for that kind of training to help develop those skills and to entice young people to want to go into the business and to learn this skill or this trade and this art in some respects to handling, you know, handling the product. Yeah, and live the life. So I know I, I drove up to Eagle Bridge a few weeks ago to pick up some goats for a, a butchering demo that we did at the French Culinary Institute with Zach Palaccio. And when I when I pulled up to the back to pick up the animals, Ed, one of your uh, butchers came out and, you know, I was admiring his, his new ride. He's got a, what is this, an old school Mercedes. <laughs> Mercedes. He traded in for a friend. I guess he does a lot of work for cars. And I was like, you know what? Your, your status is going up, my friend. Now you're tooling around <laughs> in the Mercedes. I'm like, it's happening. It's happening. There we go. And where, what better place to do it than uh, beautiful southern Washington County, right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, with Nick last week, we really talked through kind of from the animal's perspective, you know, from loading until they kind of left the kill floor. And so I wanted mm-hmm. with you to kind of just get a little bit into the nitty gritty of what's happening to the animals when they leave the kill floor um, sure. and talk kind of through to the to the end of the processing. And and so I know that, you know, after it's it's weighed on the kill floor, it goes into the cooler. But there's the cooling system. That's a big deal. Right. I mean, there's oh, like sure. a protocol there. So let's let's start with that. Right. Um, well, first of all, when everything that comes off of the kill floor obviously has passed inspection at that point. So the inspector has thoroughly reviewed the carcass to make sure that it was properly trimmed and cleaned and that everything, that there were no medical problems that they, that they found with the animal. 
From there, it moves into, we have a series of coolers, actually. The first cooler that it moves into is a kind of a blast cooler that brings the carcass down, what we call down to temperature, which means it has to, by our plans, it has to get down to at least 40 external surface temperature. Okay, just below the surface has to be below 40 degrees by the time it, um, within 24 hours. Um, from there, are the, often the, the pigs will then, within the next couple of days, once it's down to temp is when they start to, to actually do the cutting. Okay. Um, and or the animals might be going out um, within a refrigerated vehicle in, you know, half a pig, whole pig, um, on its way uh, to a restaurant um, for, for to a chef um, very often in, in the city. Um, the beef um, is a little bit different. Um, the beef will go through that same, it has to get down to temp, um, but then our beef moves into another cooler, um, a holding cooler, and hangs for, the carcass hangs for about 10 to 14 days generally. Um, and that depends really on the amount of fat that's on the carcass and how long um, it can be in there before and as it starts to break down and to, to kind of break down and the enzymes start to tenderize the meat a little bit more. Um, after 10 to 14 days, then uh, the products are, are then cut according to the specs that either the farmer or the chef or the end customer has provided and then and packaged and moved from there. Okay, so... What about so hang so hanging time so the 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 animals move from the kill floor what what happens just if 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 something doesn't pass inspection or if there's some part of the animal that's no good I mean what sure. how does that work where does it go Right. Well, the first thing that happens is if the inspector determines that there's a problem, they'll retain the animal until, uh, generally until a vet, um, who again works for food safety, comes out and actually, actually makes a determination. If they determine that is something, it is something that is going to make, uh, the product inedible and not safe, then they will condemn, uh, that carcass and the carcass needs to be destroyed, um, so, and then goes off, um, to, uh, the the renderer that we use. Um, and we have to log that. We have to make sure the farmer knows. We have to log what the issue was. And it's all, again, then reported back through food safety so that we know that that product has not entered commerce. Okay. And that point. the rendering plant is what? Um, we work with a renderer um, out of Frankfurt, New York, um, and called uh, Caruso's. And he basically comes, they come and they pick up all of the offal, um, so all of the innards. Um, they also pick up our hides, uh, beef hides. Um, they'll take, again, any kind of any uh, carcass that's been condemned at that point. And then they have various channels that um, they remarket the, the products, whether it be the hides, whether it be the, the um the byproducts that are there. So they go off with a renderer each week. And is that, I mean, how much do you get paid for that? Well, right now they pay us a low, uh, a low premium that's that, uh, a low amount that is on per pound that they take out. We typically have anywhere from 10 to 15,000 pounds that go out and they, and, and the market varies. Sometimes there's no, there's nothing that's paid. <laughs> uh-huh. And then sometimes they're, uh, depending on the demand that they have for product, they'll pay in, you know, somewhere between a few cents on the pound okay. for that every week. The hides is a different story. Again, um, the hides, the, the beef hides, go off and are tanned and made into leather. It really depends on the demand on the market. And I've seen hide prices be at times where over the years where it's, you know, not even worth it to, to save the hide sometimes. Uh-huh. Um, and as much as being, being up in the low 50 to 55 
um, $55 a, a hide over the last couple of years. It's okay. hit, hit a peak. And those mm-hmm. are things that you guys are kind of like price takers. You're not like really ne- in a position to negotiate because if they don't take it, then you're stuck with that ten or 15,000 pounds of... Absolutely. And there have been times too when we actually had to pay to, we had to pay to, to, to get rid of that, to, to dispose of that. So being in a position now where we can work with somebody who has another, has another way to market that, that product, if you will, um, has put us in a better, you know, put us in a better position to, in a better cash flow, better financial position, certainly. Yeah, that was one of the things we didn't talk about with Nick that is just coming, remi- reminding me now kind of talking about this issue is, and I remember from when you guys were doing your build out, the, the issue of, of sewage, because, you, you know, you're doing um, so much washing, you know, uh, on the right. kill floor, in the processing floor, in addition to kind of any other materials that are going to kind of go out the drain, right. that, that, that was a big part of oh, your, your build-out plan. Yes, that was very, very big for us. We, we, we half joke, although I think mostly, mostly if it's not a joke about, we probably have as much money under the ground as we do above um, to support the operation. Obviously, we live in a very rural community. Um, we, there, is, there are no municipal, um, there's not a municipal water source or sewer uh, source that is here. Um, so we, the we had to put in a very um, elaborate system to be able to catch the waste products, the waste water. We use hundreds of gallons of water every day. Um, and there had to be special grease traps and things that were built into to be able to maintain the system, um, leach fields that were put in so that we could ensure that we were, one, we were maintaining the integrity of the land around us. Um, and we live here. This is home. <laughs> so, I mean, quite literally. I know literally. your brother Steve is literally up the hill from... He's on one hill and I live on the other. Okay, so. yeah. So you're right there. <laughs> so we're right there. So we needed to make sure that obviously what we were doing was safe, maintaining the integrity of the land, and also, you know, taking care of what we needed to do. So it was a, that was a huge investment, just the money that was going into the, again, to support getting rid of all the wastewater. All right, cool. Well, um, so, so the animals have gone through, like, the, the multiple mm-hmm. um, cooling systems. <clears throat> They've hung for the time that's determined both by, I think, I mean, that's not a regulated thing, the hanging time. No. That's like a preference for, of right. the farmer um, and I'm, I'm assuming a, and a space issue for you guys. That's because correct. Because if I want to hang my beef, you know, to dry age for, you know, I don't even know, you know, another extra week or right. something, I have to assume that there's some negotiation that happens there with regards to that's kind right. of space. That's right. It's very and, difficult to be able to hang that for more than like 10 to 14 days from a space standpoint and also just because of that you have to have such controlled conditions to be able to do that as well. Probably the neatest part about the operation too though, Erin, is once it gets past that point and I know you, you're familiar with that we make, um, you know, we make a, a variety of specialty products everything from, you know, delicious steaks that we cut from the beef that is there, but we also make some awesome hot dogs um, that, that, we, that we produce and are, that are sold in various venues, again, throughout the state and, and in, certainly down in the city. There's, we work with a variety of different butchers that um, we're helping them to come up with some superior product. We make all different types of sausages, bacon, hams, so it's all the smoke products, kibasi, liverwurst, you name it. So um, that's probably the thing that we're best known for is our high quality and all the specialty products that we offer. So if people want to get, um, if people want to purchase some of those specialty products, 
like directly from you? Do you have a, is it, can they do that um, if they're, you know, up in Washington County do, or do you do any kind of mail order or what, where would you direct them? Oh, unfortunately, we do not have a retail store. We process for all of our, our farmers. They can certainly contact us and we would be glad to, you know, to, to direct them to people that are within their area. Almost anywhere that you go within the Capital District here and, again, a lot of the farmers markets at Union, uh, Union Square and some of the other farmers markets in the city, you'll find, you'll find our farmers um, and the work that we're doing. Um, so, and in, and in almost, and you know, you'll find lamb, you'll find goat, you'll find you know the the pork that you want and the beef. Um, yeah. So I'm thinking about it. I know at Union Square, you guys work with flying pigs, as I mentioned earlier. Yes. You work with grazing Angus, grazing Angus, three right. corner field farm. Um, right. I, I know um, they're all at Union Square. Right. We're also doing, um, we also do work with uh, Kinderhook Farm, and they, they supply product to some of, the, some, some of the butcher shops in Brooklyn and, um, and in the Bronx. Um, we do a lot of work for Biancardi's up in the Bronx as well, um, supplying them with, uh, again, uh, goats and uh, goats and lambs and things for them to, you know, to be able to sell delicious cuts or sides of product is there as well. So, That's awesome. Along with all the local farmer's markets that are within a, you know, within a 50-mile radius of us. Great. So plenty of opportunities to check out the work you guys have been doing. We are at the end of our time. Debbie, thank you so much for coming on. It's been awesome. And I look forward to, you know, having you on again and kind of continuing this butchering and processing and slaughtering discussion. Lots to talk about. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. Did you know we have a beer show? Check out a small clip from Beer Sessions Radio. All right, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43, and I'm here with Ray Dieter from the DBA Bars. Hey, Jim. Ray, this is a fun show. We're drinking Belgian beer. We're drinking Ictagum. Hanging out with the guys from 124 Rabbit Club. we got uh, Don and Wendy from Van Berg and the Wolf. Well, let's go back a little bit to, to kind of build your pedigree. So the two of, the, two of your top brands that we... Love and that you have now, Scaldi and Saison Dupont. Yeah, Tell us uh, how you met those guys, how you started working with them. Well, Saison Dupont was really that. Was if you want to hear more, head over to heritageradionetwork.com where new episodes of Beer Sessions are posted every week in our archive. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and iTunes. <laughs> Bushwick block party, block party, it's a party in the street, three pizza by Roberta, death killer death wrestling, featuring the legendary Mad Dog Tosto, photo booth by Ryan Slack, Waterworld, clothes by Chimeridactyl, Mary Meyer, Warren Bogart, death killer asphalt resistant jeans, all types of food for your face, sweet soda by PA, Roberta's Bake Sale, Heritage Food, USA. Orangini Eating Contest by the Orangini Brothers. Live music by Alex Drugin, Florida Paper Twin, Gang Sign, The
Netherlands, Team Robespierre, Wildcat, Tambine, Night Show, yeah, yeah. Sponsored by Martin Greenfield Clothers, Free Fitness Studio, Heritage Radio Network, Free Williamsburg, Six Point Beer, Momo Sushi Shack, Beer Box USA, Planet of the Fates, Bushwick Block Party. It's a party in the street all day long.